Next, the golden days of radio. Hi, this is Frank Brzee inviting you to join me for the golden days of radio. Great moments from radio programs of the past with the world's most famous personalities. On this program, we are presenting excerpts from past shows. And joining me in person is big band vocalist B. Wayne. The Armed Forces Radio Service actually began prior to 1941 when station KGEI, a general electric shortwave station at the San Francisco World's Fair, began broadcasting news and entertainment to the Philippine Islands. Early in 1941, many of the troops in Panama began receiving music and information over their tactical circuits, and soldiers in Kodiak, Alaska began broadcasting on a newly formed station. KODK is on the air. By March of that year, other AFRS stations around the world had joined in, and the Armed Forces Radio Network was born not only with programs from the American radio networks, but with shows that were produced expressly for servicemen. By early 1942, radio transcriptions were produced of most stateside shows for presentation on KODK and all other AFRS stations. Here's one of the early ones. It's George Burns and Gracie Allen, introduced by popular motion picture star Pat O'Brien. And now for the fighting men everywhere, we give you George Burns and Gracie Allen. for you. Uh, you'll, um, you'll soon receive those nice backless sweaters that I've been knitting for you. Just a minute, and... just a minute. You, you've been knitting backless sweaters? Well, yeah. The Red Cross told me to knit some sweaters for the boys at the front. <laughs> now I know where that old joke comes from. I see you're back from the front. Oh, please. <laughs> well, it's bad, but it's all. Well, now here's a piece of scandal, fellas. The studios... The studios won't let Gene Autry or any other cowboy star sing deep in the heart of Texas. I give up. Why not? Well, because when they get to that part where they clap their hands together, they always fall off their horses. Oh. So long, boys, and good luck. Music was an important part of KODK from that very first day on the air. As a matter of fact, for the first couple of months of broadcasting, the records were supplied by the listeners. And believe me, they were in short supply. About every three hours, every record was repeated. But as time went on, broadcast transcriptions of some of the most popular musicians were featured. Here is Benny Goodman and his orchestra, introduced by comedian Red Skelton. The world's greatest band... Command by the AEF, it's the King of Swing, Benny Goodman. Hello, fellas, this is Benny Goodman saying hello, and thanks to Bob D. and the gang at APO 953, the Three Stooges at APO 826, and Sergeant Zapula in the crowd in Iceland. To all of you everywhere, it's our privilege to send you Jersey Bounce. Hard boy, let's go.
By 1942, several months after the beginning of World War II, the Armed Forces Radio Service was actually formed and began broadcasting special programs such as command performance and mail call. These programs were beamed strictly to service personnel and included stars like Bob Hope, Francis Langford, Betty Hutton, the Andrews Sisters, and Loretta Young. By 1943, the American Forces Network, AFN, in Europe is broadcasting on a daily schedule on the BBC in England. In addition, 140 stations around the world are broadcasting AFRS programs. These programs include not only the special shows, but most of the popular programs from the stateside American networks. These shows include Bing Crosby, Fiver McGee and Molly, Henry Aldridge, The Shadow, The Lone Ranger, many of the programs I've been presenting on the golden days of radio for the past 29 years. Henry! Henry Aldridge! Come in, Mother! <laughs> Lux presents Hollywood. Tonight, our stars are Charles Farrell and Janet Gaynor in the inspiring Seventh Heaven. Stay tuned for The Guiding Light. And now, Stella Dallas. John Ruskin wrote this. Oh, Whenever money is the principal object of life, it is both got ill and spent ill and does harm in both getting and spending. When getting and spending happiness is our aim, life can be beautiful. This is One Man's Family, Book 23, Chapter 5. Jack breaks a leg while Father Barber looks on. <laughs> Pepper Young's Family, the story of your friends, the Youngs, brought to you by Camay, the mild soap for a smoother, softer complexion. Faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. Look! Up in the sky! It's a bird! It's a plane! It's Superman! Super person! Gem <laughs> Razors and Gem Blades presents The Adventures of the Falcon. Hello. Yes, this is the Falcon. Captain Midnight! Yes, Captain Midnight, brought to you every day, Monday through Friday, by the makers of Ovaltine, America's favorite food drink. Rinse white, rinse white, happy little wash day song. <laughs> Jack Armstrong! Jack Armstrong! Jack Armstrong! Jack Armstrong, the old American boy! <laughs> hi Silver! A fiery horse with the speed of light, a cloud of dust, and a hearty high old silver. The Lone Ranger rides again. Return with us now to those thrilling days of yesteryear. From out of the past come the thundering hoofbeats of the great horse silver. The Lone Ranger rides again. LS, MFT, LS, MFT. You said it. Yes, sir. Why, sure. You bet. All American. <laughs> The lucky strike means fine tobacco. So round, so firm, so fully packed, so free and easy on the draw. Would you like to be queen for a day? <laughs> the Green Hornet. He hunts the biggest of all game. Public enemies that try to destroy our America. Gunsmoke. Starring William Conrad. The story of the violence that moved west with young America. And the story of a man who moved with it. I'm that man. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. The first man they look for and the last they want to meet. It's a chancy job and it makes a man watchful and a little lonely. 
Johnny presents the Philip Morris Playhouse. to smile again with radio's home folks, Vic and Sade. Brought to you by Crisco. And please remember, Uncle Sam needs your used fat. Ladies, get your fat cans down to the market today. By 1944, the AFRS has added eight new stations in the Mediterranean, from Casablanca to Naples. Seven stations were added in the Southwest Pacific. The U.S. Fifth Army reaches Rome and forms an AFR station for troops there. In 1945, the command performance production of The Wedding of Dick Tracy is produced and hailed as the greatest radio show in history. Listen to this cast. Dick Tracy, Mr. Bing Crosby, Tess Trueheart, Miss Dinah Shore, old Judge Hooper, <laughs> that's me, <laughs> the police chief, Mr. Jerry Colonna, flat top, Mr. Robert Hope. <laughs> Vitamin Flintheart, Mr. Frank Morgan, the Summer Sisters, Miss Andrew Sisters, the Mole, Mr. James Durante, Esquire. <laughs> Little Snowflake, Miss Judy Garland. Shaky, Master Frankie Sinatra. <laughs> Gravel Gertie, Miss Cass Daly. <laughs> and so it's on with the first comic strip operetta of all time, Dick Tracy in B-flat, or, for goodness sakes, isn't he ever going to marry Tess Trueheart? <laughs> Ready, maestro, overture. <laughs> In 1945, AFRS packs and ships its one millionth recording disc. There are now 154 stations worldwide and an additional 143 public address systems and bedside networks. The first station is opened in Germany, in Munich. The American Forces Network and its European counterpart becomes the first American network in the world to use audio tape for recording after discovering the invention in captured German radio stations. In 1945, London signs off for the last time, and Frankfurt, Germany becomes the new headquarters of the American Forces Network in Europe, and it continues to this day. For the next eight years, the Armed Forces Radio Service presents programming for service personnel and their families around the world, bringing a bit of home to those so far from home. From 1946 and for the next 10 years, the Armed Forces Radio Service continues to supply entertainment to stations around the world. Some of the important AFRS events from 1957 to 1966 include the move by AFN Europe from the Hearst Castle in Germany to Frankfurt, Germany. New AFRS stations are added to bring music and news to the troops in Vietnam. Most broadcasting outlets have added television, making the AFRS the AFRTS, the Armed Forces Radio and Television Service. In January 1967, after broadcasting on the AFN in Europe for 16 weeks, this program, The Golden Days of Radio, makes its debut on the worldwide Armed Forces Radio and Television Service. That same year, AFN Europe closed its 60-station network in France. I was assured it had nothing to do with my show. Also in 1967, some of my golden days of radio shows originated at the Frankfurt studios of the American Forces Network in Europe during the celebration of their 25th anniversary.
Thank you very much. I bring you greetings from Hollywood and from some of the stars that are on the Armed Forces Radio Service. I bring you a greeting from Ira Cook, one of the big stars. He couldn't be here in person, but he sent his thought for the day. His thought for today is the richest man in the world is the man with the most money. I also bring you greetings from Johnny Grant, whose message is send more girls. <laughs> and uh, also from Dean Martin. <laughs> I also have a message uh, from Chris Noel. She sent a telegram. It says, please cancel my subscription to the Overseas Weekly. <laughs> You're all readers, aren't you? <laughs> I'd also send you greetings from the President of the United States, but he beat me to it. <laughs> I came over here for the 25th anniversary uh, to do some sightseeing, play some golf, and record three shows. I've had such a great time, I wish I could stay for a second day. But... Um, <laughs> Now, I flew over here all the way from Los Angeles, and it was, it was a pretty tough flight. We were on instruments for hours, going through rain, snow, sleet, fog, and hail. I'll never forget that bus ride to the Los Angeles airport. <laughs> uh, thank you, Mother. Huh? Oh, th that was the pilot. We finally, we finally got to the airport, and the plane wasn't quite ready to take off, so I went in the, up in the sky room and had a few drinks. I flew blind all the way. That's kaput. <laughs> Finally, I got in the plane. I'd been in the plane about 10 minutes. I looked out of the window. I said, my gosh, we're up so high, those people look like ants. One fellow turned to me, he says, those are ants. We haven't taken off yet. <laughs> and for a while, coming over the Atlantic, we flew in an altitude that didn't bother me. But we had to go up higher because the salt water was ruining the tires. <laughs> and strangely enough, I was sitting on the plane, and the, uh, the stewardess came up to me. She said, in case of an accident, the pilot is the last one to leave the plane. I said, that's fine, but why are you telling me? She says, there he is, down there. <laughs> it was a heck of a flight. Anyway, we landed in Frankfurt, and you should have heard the screams when I got off the plane. I unfastened the wrong belt. <laughs> that's sneaky, too. And a lot of people, I think a lot of people listen to the golden days of radio here in Germany because today, whenever I'd walk down the street, there were crowds following me, screaming and yelling and cheering. Does anybody know what Schweinhunt means? <laughs> you know, if I had traveled 8,000 miles from Hollywood, California uh, to uh, Frankfurt just to do sightseeing, it would have been worth it. But tonight, it's a double thrill for me because I'm here to introduce one of the greatest stars of this continent, or any continent, Miss Katerina Valenti, right here. Join us as we go back to those thrilling days of yesteryear, and we hear that masked man say, Who we is that sun bright today, Tonto? You speak truth, Kimosabi. Here, I packed all our supplies for trip. What's this, Tonto? Sunblock? That right, Kimosabi. We all need to protect ourselves from harmful rays of sun. But you, you need to be especially careful. What's that supposed to mean? Anyone can get skin cancer, Kimosabi. But people with fair hair and fair skin are most susceptible. Hmm. Better hand me my hat. Just like our heroes, everyone should use protection while in the sun. But people with light complexion should take extra precautions. Join us next time when we hear Tonto say... A hat is good protection, Kimasabi. But may I make small suggestion? Why, sure, Tonto. Maybe if you try little sunblock, you'll not have to wear a mask. Now, wait just a minute there. You know, our program will not be on the air at the end of this year, so I'm paying tribute now to Frank Sinatra on his 80th birthday, which will take place December 12, 1995. 
80 years old. Eh, he doesn't seem that old or sound that old. It was once said that this is Frank Sinatra's world and the rest of us just live in it. Well, I'll go along with that. Dear old theme song, we've come a long way together, you and I. All the way from nowhere to somewhere. And you're stuck by me every inch of the way. You're a little beat up now, a little wrinkled and gray, but I love you, old buddy. I love you. Put your dreams away for another day. And I will take their place in your heart. Let your kiss confess this is happiness, darling. And put all your dreams away. Hey, theme song, you want to know the real reason I love you? Because you're so pretty. Pretty hell, you're beautiful. Ah, uh, yes, September. Father time with a frost warning. My leaves are turning. How green they were and how bright they are. And oh, how wonderful my love affair with life. One day you turn around And it's summer Next day you turn around And it's fall And the springs and the winters of a lifetime Whatever happened to them Sighing softly as I near September, the warm September of my years. As a Wishing wells Now I'm watching children's carousels And their laughter's music to my ears And I find That I'm smiling gently as I'm near September, the warm September of my year, the golden warm September.
Over the next few years, this program originated at armed forces stations in Japan, Frankfurt, and Turahone, in addition to the programs recorded at the AFRTS Broadcast Center in Hollywood, California. By 1978, the AFRTS satellite system SatNet begins its 24-hour feed from Los Angeles. AFRTS is truly worldwide, presenting live broadcasts to every corner of the earth. That same year, I finished my first dozen years of broadcasting the golden days of radio on AFRTS. During the next 10 years, this network continues to beam entertainment to Americans the world over. In 1986, AFRTS moved its operation from the Hollywood location to Sun Valley in California, which becomes the new headquarters of the Armed Forces Radio and Television Service. During the following few years, the network, now the largest in the world, adds new outlets. In 1990, when Iraq invades Kuwait, two mobile stations are on the air within seven days to supply service personnel news and information. In 1991, this program begins the 25th year of broadcasting on AFRTS. The following year, AFRTS wins the coveted George Foster Peabody Award and celebrates its 50th anniversary. During the next three years, this network continues serving its audience overseas wherever they are. This 1942 network has earned the respect of its audiences and its peers and has developed into the largest and most unique unparalleled broadcast entity on earth. As many of you know, over the years, I've presented an annual Christmas program with many of radio's great stars. Well, this is the sketch I love the best. It's from my Christmas program in 1981. It's a spoof of the Warner Brothers motion picture Casablanca and the radio program The Whistler and features Marvin Miller in his original role as The Whistler. Ladies and gentlemen, the most famous mystery program of the 40s, the Whistler, starring Marvin Miller in his original role as The Whistler. Tonight's show stars Bobby Brzee as Ilsa, Frank Brzee as Rick, Tyler McVeigh as Victor Laszlo, Les Tremaine as Captain Renault, Rudy Valley as Sam the Piano Player, and Jack Brown as the German Major. As we present our own version of Woody Allen's version of the Humphrey Bogart classic of the same name. The Whistler. And I know many things, for I walk by night. I know many strange tales hidden in the hearts of men and women who have stepped into the shadows. Yes, I know the nameless terrors of which they dare not speak. During the Second World War, many eyes in imprisoned Europe turned hopefully or desperately toward the freedom of America. The journey was a tortuous roundabout trail. Paris to Marseille, then by train across the rim of Africa, only to end up waiting at the small cafe called Rick's American Bar in Calabasas. <laughs> Our story begins in the office of Captain Louis Renault, the French officer appointed as the prefect of police. He has been uneasy all day. Two German lieutenants had been found murdered. Captain Renault was a smart man and an even smarter politician. So he stormed into the barracks, woke up his men and shouted, Round up the usual suspects. <laughs> personally by the high command, approached Renault. He was cruel, mean, rotten, vile, nasty, vicious, spiteful, vulgar, and repugnant. 
that those were his good qualities. <laughs> he grabbed Renault and screamed, Gefiffen Affen, hob gehaget! Renault was totally bewildered. You see, he didn't understand German. What the Major had said was, I have heard about a cafe run by an American named Rick. I understand he's one of the most influential men in Calabasas. Take me to him immediately. <laughs> the Major was very clever. He wasn't really interested in Rick. <laughs> no, he was really after Victor Laszlo. Yes, Laszlo. You see, Laszlo was a brave Czech patriot who escaped from a prison camp with his wife, Ilsa, who once knew Rick in Paris. But Laszlo didn't know Rick in Paris, and Ilsa didn't know Rick was in Calabasas any more than Rick knew Ilsa was in Calabasas. So actually, no one knew, which is still the same old story, a fight for love and glory, a case of do or die. The world will always welcome lovers as time goes by. <laughs> Rick was a tough cookie, a soldier of fortune. You might even say Rick was a fortune cookie. <laughs> but that's not very funny, so I think I'll give that joke to Charlie Chan. <laughs> Rick was the kind of a man who was headstrong, determined, and lived by only one rule. Wherever he went, whatever he did, it was always the same. His only purpose in life was summed up in these five words. Here's looking at you, kid. <laughs> yes, that was his motto. And he was willing to die for it until she walked in. It had been a long, long time since they met. But of all the gin joints and waterfront bars in all the tank towns and rotten holes in all the world, she walked into Rick's, which proved one thing. The broad still had no class. <laughs> but they loved each other. She looked at him and murmured, Rick! And he cupped her lovely face in his hands and whispered, Elsa. They looked at each other for a moment. And then they kissed. <laughs> Rick sat at his table, staring at his empty glass of bourbon. He was sad, unhappy, miserable, rejected, and forlorn, just the way I like the characters on this show. <laughs> he looked at the empty chair beside him. He thought to himself, if it's December 1941 in Calabasas, what time is it in New York? And then he leaped to his feet and called out, Sam, come here. Okay, Sam. You know what I want to hear. If she can stand it, so can I. Sam looked puzzled, scared, frightened, and hesitant. But Rick wouldn't back down. He turned quickly and grumbled, Sing it again, Sam. My time is your time. <laughs> Shut up, you idiot. That's not the song. I know, but it's close. <laughs> Sit down and keep quiet. Now, where was I? Oh, yes. Well, that's the way life is, isn't it? Rick is in love with Ilsa. Ilsa loves Rick, but Ilsa is married to Victor Laszlo. And Victor Laszlo loves Ilsa. <laughs> Three utterly unhappy, pathetic people. Oh, how I love this show. <laughs> ah, what's this? Victor Laszlo approaches Rick with a proposition. I must have two passports. You can ask any price you choose. I'm asking you to put your feelings aside for something more important. Something more important? What could be more important to Rick than Ilsa? And then, suddenly, Rick realized the moment in history that had brought them together. 
Rick looked at Victor Laszlo, the patriot, and he thought about the horror of World War II. He thought about the innocent women and children being slaughtered every hour of every day, of every week, of every month, of every year. And the spirit of Americanism gripped him, as he said. That's your problem, pal. <laughs> well, it seemed that Rick hadn't changed. He was still the loner, the opportunist, the self-centered anti-hero. Or was he? For no sooner had Rick left than Captain Renault and the German Major rushed up to Laszlo. You will never leave Calabasas alive, Laszlo. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing that now faced Victor Laszlo was death. But wait. Captain Renault pulled two green booklets from his pocket, handed them to Laszlo, and said, Here, take these quickly. They are the passports. It was arranged by Rick. <laughs> so in the end, Rick got the two passports for Victor Laszlo, and as their car sped to the airport in the pitch-dark night through the thick fog, Rick couldn't even look at Ilsa. He was driving. <laughs> but once they arrived at the landing field, Victor went to check on the luggage and Rick and Ilsa were left standing together for one last moment. It was then that Rick delivered his famous airport speech. Ilsa, I'm no good at being noble, but it doesn't take much to see that the problems of three little people don't amount to a hill of beans in this crazy world. Someday you'll understand that. Just then, Captain Renault ran over to Rick and breathlessly announced, You bitterly! The German major has just been shot. His head was completely blown off. Hmm. <laughs> completely blown off? How? When? Where? By whom? Gee, I never get to take part in any of the fun stuff. <laughs> Laszlo walked over to Rick and Ilsa looked straight into Rick's eyes and said, Rick, it is a far, far better thing you are doing than you have ever done before. <laughs> Ilsa, on the verge of tears, cried, Do you really think so, Victor? And Victor bravely answered, Yes, my darling. When Rick gave me these two passports, he knew it was best for all of us. Victor took the two passports from his pocket and looked at them. He opened one of the little green booklets and read... Calabasas to New York. Ilsa Laszlo. Lovingly, he handed the passport to Ilsa. And then he opened the second green booklet and read... Calabasas to New York, Victor... Rick Blaine. Here's, Here's looking, looking at, at you, you kid. kid. <laughs> and so ends our story of Rick and Ilsa and Victor and Captain Renault and the mean German major. It's not my usual ending because two live to tell the story. Well, three out of five isn't bad. <laughs> and besides, it was during the war years. Oh, well, next week's story will be much better. No one survives. For you see, next week's tale of the Whistler will take place in 1953. It's about the Cold War during the Russian spy time. The Russian what? Spy time, spy time. Spy time is your time. Spy time. Oh, no. Our guest on this edition of the Golden Days of Radio is one of the great announcers of all time. I'm thrilled to have with me 
in studio, Mr. Fred Foy. Fred, welcome to the program. Well, thank you very much, Frank. It's a pleasure to be here. Would you, for, for our Golden Days of Radio audience, would you do the opening of that show you did for so many years? <laughs> All right, Frank. A fiery horse with the speed of light, a cloud of dust, and a hearty Hyo Silver, the Lone Ranger. Oh, that's great. That was a call to arms for so many people for so many years, wasn't it? How long were you on the Lone Ranger? I started with the show in 1948 and then, of course, went until it finally was off the air as a, as a live show. Uh, in the middle 50s, right, yeah. Well, uh, you said as a live show because the Lone Ranger, to this day, and it's been over 60 years, is still heard on radio stations uh, all over the United States. Now tell us, all those shows originated, of course, at WXYZ in Detroit. Tell us a little bit about the studio. We know what a modern studio is like in Hollywood or in New York, but I guess in Detroit it was a little different, wasn't it? Well, when we first, uh, when I was first uh, involved with WXYZ, we were in the in the uh, Maccabees building on Woodward Avenue, and it was a typical radio studio. Uh-huh. Then I. Uh, was called into service, and when I returned to WXYZ, they had moved to an old mansion in uh, Indian Village in Detroit, which they had converted into offices and studios. Uh-huh. So we did the Ranger when I finally uh, uh, was doing the show out of uh, uh, a studio that had been the library, and it was all paneled, and and uh, it, it was uh, strange to walk into to a studio that didn't look like a studio. <laughs> it was like working in your living room. The show went on in 1933, January 1933. Right. And uh, here's something for the listeners around the world and in the United States to hear. These are some excerpts from the first script of the Lone Ranger show in 1933. his life to the service of humanity and country. It is the story of the origin of the Lone Ranger. My first recollection of the commanding figure that was radio's Lone Ranger, Brace Beamer, is the feeling I had at our first meeting, that I was in the presence of the fabled masked man himself. Here was a man who in every way fulfilled the image your imagination painted of that masked hero of the Old West. Tall, handsome, rugged, adept as a horseman, and a man who loved the outdoor life and was skilled in the use of six guns and rifle alike. This was the picture his rich voice painted to radio audiences as they followed the exciting adventures of the masked rider, an image duplicated in the man himself. He was the Lone Ranger physically, mentally, and in his heart. Those are the ones we was chasing last night. Yeah. Oh, look at that masked man ride. What a fine man he is. He's wonderful. I saw how he shot the gun clean out of that Wind Cooper's hand. Greatest shot I ever saw in my life. You know them? You know who the masked man is? They're not who he is, not exactly. I just know he's the greatest rider, the greatest shot. And the greatest man this West has ever seen. I think you must be right. I know he saved my life. And my life, too. But, Lee, you say you know who the masked man is. Grateful as we are, we never did ask him. Who is he? Well, I'm surprised a soldier like you don't know, Major. There's only one great masked man in the West, and that's the Lone Ranger. <laughs> B. Wayne was the very first performer on the very first Armed Forces Radio Command Performance Program in March 1942. Actually, it was one of the first programs on AFRS. Command Performance was an entertainment program presented strictly for servicemen throughout the world. 
This program, The Golden Days of Radio, has been broadcasting to some of the same service personnel and their families since 1967. As most of you know, this is the last program of this series, and so, to make the circle complete, I have as my guest, B. Wayne, the very first performer on Command Performance and the very last performer on this program. B, welcome to the Golden Days of Radio. Thank you, Frank. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah. I really didn't totter in. I'm still, I'm still making it okay. B is doing very well, and, uh, and happily so. Uh, B, you did the first command performance program in what, 1942? And I remember it well. Do it, you? It was a thrill. I was I was so happy to be invited. We had a lot of stars on that show, which made me, you know, very very excited. Uh, Eddie Cantor was the MC. Eddie Cantor, the famous comedian. Danny Kay, another famous comedian. Merle Oberon, who was a, a leading actress in the films, and and me. And I sang, and I opened the show, if I remember correctly, with a song called Chattanooga Choo Choo. Yes, you did. Which makes you the first performer on the uh, on the Armed Forces Radio Show. And you know the reason we we did that song? No. Well, I, I'm basically known as a ballad singer, but uh, I had been doing a lot of shows during that period, and I had an arrangement. I had a chart already written on Chattanooga Choo Choo, and of course our, our budget on Armed Forces was rather small, so I brought in my arrangement, and that saved them some money. Uh-huh. Well, you know, most of the performers uh, on Command Performance and Mail Call and Jubilee and all the Armed Forces Radio Service shows during those years donated their time. Oh, definitely. Uh, for the servicemen around the world. Definitely. And then the, and we did it in the theater, and one of the, uh, I don't remember if it was a CBS or NBC theater, but it was filled with servicemen. Everything we did was for the servicemen mm -hmm. and how happy I, I was to be associated well, and you're still associated after 53 years. Yeah, <laughs> how about that? Well, from the first command performance show on AFRS to the last Golden Days of Radio show bye bye. on AFRS, here is B. Wayne with the same song, and you introduce it. It's Chattanooga Choo Choo. <laughs> Won't you pardon me, boy? Is that the Chattanooga choo-choo? Track 29. Boy, you can give me a shine. I can afford to board a Chattanooga choo-choo. I've got my fare and just a trifle to spare. You leave the Pennsylvania station about a quarter to four. Read a magazine and then you're in Baltimore. Dinner in the diner, nothing could be finer than to have your ham and eggs in Carolina. When you hear the whistle blowing eight to the bar, then you know that Tennessee is not very far. Shovel all the coal in, gotta keep it rolling. Woo woo Chattanooga, woo woo Chattanooga, woo woo Chattanooga, woo woo. There you are, who, 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 there's gonna be a certain party at the station, dressed in satin and lace. I used to call funny face, she's gonna cry until I tell her that I'll never vote. So Chattanooga choo-choo, won't you choo-choo me home? Chattanooga choo-choo. Say good night, George. Say good night, Frank. Say good night, Groucho. Say good night, Chico. Good night, Chico. Good night, everybody. Thank you, and good night. So good night. Thanks very much. Good night, and all our highest thanks. Good night. Good night. Good night, folks. Good night. Say good night. Good night, everybody. Good night, pleasant dreams. Good night. Good night, all. Wishing you a very warm good night. Good night, and good luck. Good luck, and good night, Jeff. Good luck, David. And good night for NBC News. Good night, folks. So long until tomorrow. Remain as always.
Obedient for yours. Thanks for listening. And here's Cheerio from Hollywood. Good night to you from Hollywood. This is Frank Brzee again. This is my program, 2,739. I first came to you on the American Forces Network in Europe on September 6, 1967, and on the worldwide Armed Forces Radio and Television Service four months later. Thank you for all being so loyal these 29 years. My announcers over the years have been Gene Baker, Bill Baldwin, and for the last 11 years, Art Gilmore. Our Christmas shows have also featured announcers Johnny Jacobs, Harry Bonzel, Ken Carpenter, John Melton Kennedy, and Rick Scarry. My producer was Bill Azell, and for a time, Denny DeWinter, Jimmy Lampiazzi, Ron Harrelson, and Bruce Wendell, and for the past 10 years, Jimmy Schmick. The executive producer over the years has always been Jack Brown. The guests during these 29 years read like a who's who of radio and television, and I thank them all. Our writers over the years have included Phil Leslie, Jim Harmon, Roger Rittner, Robert E. Lee, John Jensen, and Eddie Leroy. The host of the Golden Days of Radio has always been me. And if you'll write to me, Frank Brzee, in care of your local armed forces station, I'll try to answer you. And now, goodbye, and may God bless you. I'll see you on the radio. And so after more than 2,700 broadcasts, 29 years, we say goodbye to the golden days of radio. This is the Armed Forces Radio Service.